0: Um, first of all, welcome, everybody. Thanks so much for um, taking some time out to join us. Um, I'm um, delighted that we've got a chance to sort of check in at the end of the year around um, what has been uh, working for us um, as opposed to what hasn't been working for us during um, a COVID-impacted um, uh, world. Um, I'm really uh, pleased to have um, uh, the support of uh, Graham Mullen from um, the University of Otago and Lucy Moore from um, uh, uh, QUT in uh, Queensland joining us. Um, much uh, thanks to them for taking the time. Um, when I asked each of them to, to join me in this session, I hadn't fully appreciated just quite how new they were to their roles. And of course, being new to your role is one thing. Being new to your role um, when you've then got to scramble to kind of reconfigure and redesign your programs is a kind of a whole other world. And I'm sure um, each of them might sort of uh, touch a, a little bit on that. But really, I wanted to just start by saying that... Um, We do recognise that this has been a very challenging year for people, whatever role that you have in whatever type of organisation you're in. But all the same, there are some things that COVID has allowed us to um, uh, learn from and that we shouldn't view the entire year as being... um, only one of challenges i think actually it's been a bit of a revelation in some areas it's been a resetting in some it's allowed us to really completely reframe the way in which we think and do things and so i wanted to use this session to have an opportunity to talk about the positives that have come out the things that we've learned the things that we might take forward as opposed to simply wishing 2020 would go away and we could start again i think we all know by now that actually most of what we've had in 2020 is still going to be with us in 2021 so um it's probably better that we embrace the positives and um uh, wish wish for something that's um, not likely to change much between now and um next year Um, So, look, I'm going to um, kick off with um, talking about um, how we've changed things in our alumni events program here at the University of Tasmania. Um, Then we're going to hear from um, Lucy uh, a little bit around the fundraising piece at uh, QUT, and Graham's going to end up talking about um, some um, approaches that they've taken around um, uh, donor engagement, donor stewardship, and we hope that just gives you a little flavour of different parts of the advancement function, and then we'll leave. Um, some time at the end for questions so we'll go through each of our little case studies um, hoping to spend about 10 minutes on each of those and then we'll um, open up to broad discussion and we'd really love to hear from you around the things that you've been doing um, and particularly if they're different we've had different experiences or got other ideas um, because uh, one of the wonderful things about these uh, webinars and this community is the way in which we're able to share and support each other so I'm just going to um, hope that my screen sharing um, works uh, as it should do and uh, as soon as i get to that point um right so can someone just confirm for me you've all got the slide that i can see perfect thumbs up all right so we'll 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 get um we'll get straight on to it so Um, Just a little bit about um, uh, UTAS, Um, you don't need to know a lot and there's plenty of information here on the slide, but um, I think it does frame a little bit for us uh, the way in which we do things. So for all the stuff that you can see on the slide here, um, perhaps it, it, it should be pointed out we are an island. Um, That makes things quite different compared to lots of other people. We're the only university on the island and that comes with great um, opportunity um, but also responsibility. And um, we are first and foremost a university that is here um for Tasmania it, despite all the wonderful things about Tasmania and many of you will be aware of them from a sort of I suppose a tourism point of view um, it does come with very significant social challenges we have some of the um worst health and education outcomes of anywhere in Australia um which is uh, obviously a, a key concern to us as a university and our role is to serve Tasmanian needs first um so our social license to operate is um Uh, very um, finely tuned we're very aware that uh, we're here to serve our our Tasmanian people but we do have a strategic focus that is around um, being from Tasmania to the world so it doesn't discount the fact that we have pockets of um, real excellence and distinction that are really to do with our place and so uh, we think very carefully around all things Tasmanian and how those are relevant to people um, further afield. one of the uh, things we thought we, you might be interested to hear from each of us as we go through this presentation is just a little bit of context around our, our office here. So. The Advancement Office here in um, the University of Tasmania has got approximately 20 full-time equivalent staff and we're based um, in Hobart and in Launceston. So most staff are based in Ho- Hobart, but we do have staff in Launceston office too. Um, we can see we've got a number of graduates, um, still got some work to do in finding some of our lost alumni, although we don't do too badly on that. And we have a very widespread, it would be very similar, I would think, to, to, to many of the universities um, uh, and any schools that might be joining us today. So most of our alums reside in Australia and indeed 65% of our domestic graduates are here in Tasmania. So we have a very immediate audience, but we're not um, immune to the idea that we need to connect um, off the island too. And pleasingly, our uh, donors, 2,500 donors, um, currently 60 staff donors, our figures look quite different earlier this year. And so COVID in a way, and uh, some of the approaches we've been taking have allowed us to increase our our donors, which has been really encouraging. In terms of our key priorities, in a broader sense, they'd be very similar to lots of other universities, but there's a couple of things I thought worth pointing out that we're very focused around how can we have more people engaging in the activities and programs that are available through the university. Um, we're really keen to um, kickstart a higher level of volunteering, um, and particularly where that connects with student experience, um, so galvanising our community, activating our community in support of um, the student experience, and from a fundraising point of view, there are many things that we fund. But if there is one thing that I had to say is our absolute highest priority, it's increasing the number of access scholarships available to disadvantaged students. So that's just a little bit about us. The bit that I wanted to focus on um, is how we've had to change. And I I will use the word pivot. Get that out of the way. Let's just all acknowledge that word's going to come up. and uh, our event delivery so i 'm not going to dwell too much on the public lecture program, but uh, which we renamed um, in April Island of Ideas, and really the strap line around our public lectures was that um, uh, we may not physically be able to come together, but doesn 't stop the ideas flowing and so um, the events team, which uh, sits within the advancement office, came up with a wonderful strap line Island of Ideas and um, moved very fast and very effectively to online delivery. And I mention that because um, it's significant for two reasons. One, when we thought about what we we're going to do with our alumni events, we had to be very cognizant of what was going on in the public lecture program. So we weren't duplicating, but adding value. Um, The other is that I think that um, the team within UTAS would acknowledge that we wouldn't have been as successful in delivering our webinar program had our events team not already moved fast and very professionally to an online delivery platform. So we were able to tap into the expertise that they had. Um, we I think some of the sessions have covered the idea that suddenly we all had to become digital experts we would not have said that we were digital experts at the beginning of this year but we're all a little bit better at it now so acknowledgement to my colleagues um, in the advancement team from from the events uh, program um, but island of ideas um, which really simply um, put our current public lecture program onto a digital platform then allowed us in the alumni team to think about well what are we going to do with with ours? so typically last year we were delivering, I would think, like many people, but whether you're from a school or from a university, um, programs that were around meeting physically. There was little to no um, online presence. Some There was some live streaming for, for some parts of what we were doing, but um, not so much for the alumni program. And it would be somewhere between... 40 people to 200 people delivering a domestic, interstate and international program. So actually quite an expensive model and a model that meant that um, although the quality of the programs was excellent and there was lots of uh, social engagement opportunity as well as the content that we would deliver through the choice of speakers, quite an expensive model and actually what we thought would be really good to have 200 people now in a kind of COVID environment we think that 200 people is not a very large number of people so we weren't reaching as many people as um, our brave new world has allowed us to do so we thought about um, how we would go about engaging our alums through an online experience I think we were a bit skeptical as to whether our community would embrace it and get on board the reality became that everyone had to embrace the digital world otherwise um we really weren't going to be keeping in touch with anyone so the fact that families were meeting online everyone was zooming happily or otherwise it just became the norm then clearly we were able to tap into that so for the um for our program we decided that we would um call the program explore that's not accidental Uh, we think that's uh was was um, both um, said something around what we hoped that our alums would would do through coming to this programme, that they would be able to explore new ideas, new opportunities, um, new interests but it also played very much on our place and we have a very place-based people-centric brand. So it was important that that sense of adventure and striking out and looking into new things and looking above and beyond the horizon was really important. So um, that's, that was the, the name that we chose for our new alumni um, webinar program. It's, Really important um, The distinction for us between us and our public lecture program is it's for alumni by alumni and very much content was guided by a survey we did in 2018 so it was helpful to be able to go back and look at what do our, um, what does our alumni community want and we were able to sort of frame our program accordingly. We made it um, that the distinction between our program and the public lecture program, the public lecture program is dissemination of knowledge and we'd, we'd all be familiar with that within our institutions. For us, it was about dissemination of knowledge, but in a way that had a practical application. We wanted our alums um, to be able to come to this uh, webinar and feel that there was something they could do, change, um, learn Put into practice as a result of coming to the webinar so the the practical application of the knowledge that they were gaining was really important so for example we had um, an international author is one of our alums and um, Danielle Wood and um, she did a wonderful session on what's it like to be an author and the sort of tips and tricks around um, becoming an author and so that was a hugely popular not only because she's a very renowned um, novelist but because, you know, there's lots of people and particularly in the COVID world who have um, harbour aspirations of becoming a novelist. And so how how might they go about it? So it was how to as much as her life and what she's she's done. So um, we also made the distinction that our alumni program would be exclusively for alums. Um, whereas the public program is for anyone and our alums indeed are invited to our public lecture program. We actively market that, but we wanted to provide something that meant there was real value in being an alumnus of the university. So first and foremost, it's exclusive to alums and then through access to the YouTube that can be disseminated more widely afterwards. So we feel we get two bites. We get the exclusivity, but actually we're not preventing other people from tapping into the expertise and the program that we've developed um we've been really pleased with the international reach Um, the reach generally everyone being able to come at different times of day we've been able to play with times where we traditionally always used to do the sort of six to eight slot now we can run things during the day and sort of really think about time zones but we've been pleased to pick up people from all over the world um we've been really pleased with the numbers you can see from my slide that compared to last year where we had seven events in different each in a different city which achieved 825 registrations and about 500 attendances. Again, we were pretty pleased with that last year, but you put it into context of the costs of running an event in seven cities and taking speakers, VC, the team, um, hotels, um, food, the whole flights, everything. Um, and then you put it in the context of this year, five online events um, and those numbers that you can see there, and then the flow on through YouTube. It's been really um, really fantastic one of the things apart from the, the reach uh the feedback from our alums has been very positive i think they've enjoyed the way in which we've been able actually to manage the engagement quite well so we advertise it through our um e-news we then follow up we then remind um after they come we're able to very quickly say we're so sorry that you weren't able to join us if they didn't actually turn up on the, on the, the event itself and we've been able to quickly do a quick poll as could we have had it at a better time did you just forget did it in the end not interest you so really quick feedback around what's working and what's not working um and to be able to then send them the link sorry you weren't able to join us or even if they did join us great that you could join us here now is the link so it's actually provided um the flow on of content way beyond the lecture um or the webinar itself again something that we weren't able to do with our um with our um events uh, last year and so our view is is that um in a relatively simple way, and I do put that in inverted compass, relatively simple way, we are f- far more meeting the needs and interests of our community than we were before. And had it not been for COVID, I think we would have possibly got there eventually, but in a very, very slow way. So in terms of what did we learn from this, well inclusivity is 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 key, right? I mean we've got thousands, tens of thousands of people all over the world and our program previously was really predicated on you being A here in Australia and especially here in Tasmania and actually that's not where all of our audiences are so we weren't serving a broader community now we're completely open to anyone anywhere in the world at any time to join us it is definitely more cost effective Um, so the question is why didn't we do this sooner Um, so the bigger picture around what are we learning is what is our appetite for change and what is our appetite for doing things differently what's our appetite for new initiatives so that's a longer term thing for us to assess. Um, This was out of necessity. So um, it was great to be forced. I mean, there's that sort of Chinese proverb about um, a tiger chasing you up the tree when you got up to the top the view was great. It's it's kind of like that. We went up the tree because we were chased up the tree, but why did it take someone chasing us up the tree to do some of these things that are actually fairly obvious? If you put this on a piece of paper, of course going online is is the way to go. Um, But I think we always fear the... The distance that a digital online environment um, creates. What COVID has told us that that you can mitigate some of that distance, and I don't just mean literally. Like I've got on my slide the tyranny of distance, but actually the connectivity that you can have. You can have connectivity on an online platform, um, having the ability to invite speakers to participate in our program beyond those who can come here or we can afford to have here has been fantastic. That's definitely been a significant feature of our public lecture program. We can aim higher. We can aim for heads of state. We can aim for ministers and so forth and not it be this extraordinary complicated business around when can it fit into their schedule and all the rest of it in the same way that um, they can do an online commitment compared to a a, a physical um, commitment. So that's been great. Uh, The caveat is, is that, um, Moving to digital events hasn't necessarily saved us time for those who are organizing in our events team and in our own team. And in some cases, you have to have more people on it. So managing the whole Zoom and the chat functions and all those kinds of things like today. So you don't necessarily save time, but you definitely save money. Um, and that money can then be be put to other purposes. Talked a little bit before about data acquisition, how we've been able to follow up and track attendees and improve the experience for our alums. That's been a really important part of what we've learned Content is key. So we've been really delighted about the way in which we thought very carefully about the kinds of topics. So some of those have been COVID um, specific, but some of them have simply been around um, uh, topics. So one of the most popular was around um, gut health, how to improve your gut um, quite topical at the moment it's it's in a lot of places but we had a very large number of registrations around that hugely popular Um, so it's been great to call on lots of colleagues and the experience of our event staff and elsewhere around the university to think very carefully about content Um, and once you've got that interest what you can do with and how you can spin that out to other platforms is really important Um, but I maintain that um, advancement is a is fundamentally a human endeavor and so we don't think that we will ever go to a fully um, online um, delivery of our programs other than having to for, for, health and safety reasons. Um, so the challenge now is how do we blend the online with the face to face and get that in the right balance and make sure our resources are applied in the right way. But there's no going back from um, online events. It's been um, quite a revelation and a very positive experience for us. So that's the end of my Uh, my presentation and I look forward to um, taking some questions and having a discussion at the end but we might now just um, move straight on to to Lucy who's going to to turn the attention a little bit from the alumni engagement well it'll still be alumni engagement I'm sure but thinking about it through a a fundraising lens.
1: Thanks Kate just before I begin I just want to acknowledge the Turrbal and Yugara people as the first nations owners of the land on which QUT now stands We pay respect to their elders' laws, customs and creation spirits. We recognise that these lands have always been places of teaching, research and learning. So QUT, just to give you a very brief rundown about QUT, we're known um, certainly in Brisbane as the University of the Real World for our close links with industry and our relevant industry, teaching and applied research. So we were officially declared a university in 1989. So you can imagine we were previously the Queensland Institute of Technology, but our real history began in 1849 with the Brisbane School of Arts. We have about 50,000 students, obviously not all of them are on campus at the moment, Um, around about 13,000 staff and a total alumni of just over 250,000 people. So we've got quite a large alumni pool. Kate, I might just get you to move on to the next slide if that's possible. Advancement here at QUT is a central function. We have approximately 30 staff, like many universities, we're facing a budget deficit in the years ahead. We are actually going through a bit of a restructure at the moment, which unfortunately will result in some job losses. Advancement, I think, will be okay at the moment, although I should note I did lose half my team earlier in the year with our hiring freeze. And really what we're focused on at the moment is building our donor pipeline. So while QT has done a lot of fundraising work over the years, we're now really concentrating it and trying to grow quite steadily um, in the next... Sort of five to ten years, and my role is really designed to grow that pipeline of donors. So, and it's been interesting, I think, looking at COVID and being struck at how generous our donors have remained through what has been quite a challenging year. What I really wanted to talk about today was our Emergency Student Fund Appeal, and what I see are the challenges we have in the year ahead to renew these donors. So let me set the scene, I'll get Kate to flick on to the next slide, please. So we were one of the first universities to launch a student-focused appeal in March. We had a clear directive from the Vice-Chancellor. Now, I could talk you know, endlessly about the week, the five days that we had to launch this appeal, because day one was actually the first day that I commenced at QUT. I walked in to kind of this COVID weird era atmosphere that was going on in March, if people recall, Um, I was handed, you know, a couple of sentences about the, we really think we should do an emergency appeal. Do you think you can get that out this week? (laughs) And I went, okay, all right, we we can do this. And I think what really helped is that we had a very clear directive, we had um, an equity team that very early on, earlier in March, identified that this was going to be a real problem for our students. They had an existing program that could be scaled up, which was an emergency bursary program that issues bursaries of between $300 and $1,000 per student. Um, They they already had that infrastructure in place. Um, And and most importantly, it it was a bursary that was available to all sorts of students. Domestic, international, undergraduate, postgraduate, it was means tested. And once the student applied and was eligible, they could have the funds in their bank account within 24 to 48 hours. So it really did have an immediate effect. So it ticked a lot of boxes. So throughout that first five days, it was frenetic, um, totally frenetic. But being new, I didn't know anybody. So I didn't take no for an answer. And we were able to rally the team, rally put things together, get the data out, get the data right. And at about 3 p.m. on the Friday, we sent an appeal out to 127,000 alumni and donors and included filming with the vice chancellor. There's nothing like starting a new job and meeting the vice chancellor on day four while it's literally just you, her and the cameraman because we were socially distancing in filming. Um, so definitely a week to remember. But, you know, I think what the most interesting thing is, is if I looked to previous jobs I'd been in, it could have taken us months to get an appeal going. And I think COVID really freed us from the shackles of some of the, you know, approvals processes and bureaucracy that universities sometimes make you deal with. So how did the appeal go? Kate, I'll just, if you wouldn't mind, thank you. Well, this was one of our most successful um, alumni appeals, and we actually raised just over $240,000 from 495 donors. What's interesting about the appeal is that we had an incredibly strong donor acquisition rate of 45%, so we had well over 220 donors who gave for the first time. Similarly, we had great support from our staff, and I should preface that by saying that QUT has quite a strong staff giving program. We have about 12.5% staff giving anyway. But the VC was quite clear she didn't want the emergency appeal sent out to staff with a strong solicitation. She felt there was enough on people's plates. So it went out in her weekly e-news with a little mention and a link to the video. And we had 30% of gifts of donors to the appeal came from staff. And I think that probably showed us that our staff identified, probably more than anybody else, that this was quite a serious situation and we needed to get students the help that they needed. So where to from here? So. Day one I walked onto the campus, day five we sent the appeal out and day six saw me at home managing a team of what was then ten, having only met half of them face to face. And I knew at that moment that in order for this appeal to be truly successful, we needed to set ourselves up for future success. And by that I mean we needed to put into place a really strong program of stewardship. So I've worked with emergency appeals before at universities. People might recall Brisbane had quite a bad flood nine years ago in 2011. And when I worked at UQ at the time, we did an emergency appeal. And try as we might, we struggled, really struggled to renew those emergent donors. So I knew after we sent this one out that we needed to act quickly. So over the course of the last couple of months, we've sent out about five or six um, donor touch points. So whether it's a phone call, an email, updating people on the progress of the appeal, how many students have been helped, um, What else is going on? Because we were conscious about COVID fatigue, we can all get a little bit over it. It's still going to be with us next year. We're certainly not going to see the back of it this year. Really, because I was really wanted to ensure that we could renew as many of these people as we could. It didn't always come easy. You know, we had to make some tough decisions. We cancelled our giving day, which was scheduled for for May. We initially postponed it and decided to cancel it. we were able to, our major gift fundraisers were able to embark on what we called a program of donor care by reaching out and contacting every one of their prospects. That had some really positive effects. We had a really successful tax appeal that focused on our equity scholarship, the Learning Potential Fund. But really, I think by making sure that we have thanked people appropriately for their giving, we've provided regular touch points of impact, hoping hoping very much that we will enter 2021 with being able to renew as many of those donors as possible. We also made real effort to tailor our communications as well. And I know that might seem something that's quite obvious, but you know, when, when you act quickly, sometimes you forget about the personalization. We made a real effort to identify if someone was giving for the first time, if someone was giving for the second time, if someone was also a staff member. Um, and also probably need to look at our colleagues in the charity sector who run emergent appeals more frequently for how they renew donors in these situations as well. So there's certainly still some work to be done to be done there. And I think COVID has probably also freed us from having to do the things we've always done. It's given us a very convenient excuse to really look at what we're doing. Why are we doing this? I've said to my team, we're going to have less resourcing going into next year. If we want to build a pipeline and renew all these donors, we've got to stop doing some stuff because we can't do everything. So let's use this as a very convenient excuse to stop doing things that maybe are not um, providing us with the donor contacts or the donor touch points or, or the results that we're really looking for. So I'd like to think the year you, ahead is going to be exciting and hopefully we'll be able to renew as many of our emergent donors as possible.
0: Thanks, Lucy. That was, uh, that was great. And I'm sure there's going to be plenty of questions coming out of that. Everyone will be worrying. I think most people will be thinking, A, how do you do an appeal in five days? And B, how do you do it when you've just started? But you're proof that it can be done. So actually, we, 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 um, we're our own limitations, right? We, we just have to, as you say, stop thinking about what we can't do and think what we can do. Um, so look, at this moment, I'm going to hand over to um, Graham over in New Zealand. Thanks for joining us, Graham, and uh, preparing some slides. Um, I've moved you onto your title slide, and over to you.
2: Uh, kira. Uh, Tenekoto 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 Um My name's Graham Mullen, and uh, thank you, Kate. Um, I'm based here in Aotearoa, in New Zealand. Um, okay, thank you, Kate. Uh, a little bit about the University of Otago, um, one, one of the oldest universities here in, in New Zealand, uh, established in 1869, located in Dunedin, down at the bottom uh, and half of, of the country. Um, but we also have campuses in Christchurch and Wellington and an office in Auckland. We're around 21,000 students, um, with about 4,000 staff. Uh, and I have about uh, 200 undergraduate, postgraduate courses um, delivered um, in in Christchurch, Wellington, and here in Dunedin, but also more growing virtually now uh, online with the launch of a, our, our DBA program last year, which is all virtual. Um, so we were part of a, a new. Well, I am. I've been here about uh, 16 months. Part of a new expanding team then uh, of uh, advancement uh, managers. Um, There's a photo of my team there, we couldn't do it without the the team I'm I'm part of. Um, And we have around 161,000 alum and and contacted um, about 100,000 of them. Okay, thank you, Kate. So the part that I really wanted to talk about really was during the initial lockdown, um, what we did here is our, our development team that was probably very different um, to our normal day to day jobs, um, which was, you know, we, had the, we were faced with the ability that we couldn't run traditional events. I mean, the, the university um, previous year celebrated 150 of, events, um, uh, sort of as did, all around the world um, in London, in Frankfurt, and, and Hong Kong, um, across the US. So they were all sort of core big events that the university would have run, again, with the Vice Chancellor, the Chancellor, um, and our Director of um, Advancement. So we couldn 't do these these events didn 't really couldn 't obviously travel. Um, but yet we also felt compelled to reach out to our alum um, and therefore the the first part um, our first focus uh, was on um, our, our students then um, our, our core staff here, um, but also um, our alumni and, and to reach out to the alum in a way we haven 't done uh, previously, which was a very simple. Um, phone call Um, so the the alumni first of all we went through used it as an opportunity to contact alum that we didn't have email addresses for I mean a lot of our news and messages that that was coming from the university but was coming all digitally we couldn't run the the normal print magazine uh, that we normally send out to all of our because postal services um, stopped here in in New Zealand um, for, for overseas so we looked to do phone calls um, therefore, first of all, we rang um, alum, and we didn't have phone calls for, uh, sorry, email addresses for. Um, and then we rang all our donors, our previous donors, just to, to check in on them, to, just to see how, how they're doing, um, and any challenges, and to see if there was any alum here in, in Dunedin that we could do anything for, uh, or anywhere we could assist. And then we sort of shifted um, the sort of phone call, and, and you know, we rang um, alum. That's where, over the age of 70. Um, some of the alum were, were a lot uh, older. Uh, with really a simple message that we gave, we're, we're calling on behalf of the Vice-Chancellor, just checking in that you're okay. Um, how, how are you? Can you tell me a bit um, a bit about your situation? And th- this was, um, you know, I, I this is a really nice part of the role. You know, in, in the first few days, I was talking to an alum um, from... Um, San, uh, in San Francisco, to London, to Hong Kong, uh, Zimbabwe, um, and in Australia, all on the purpose, you know, over the first um, weekend, and just to checking in that they were okay. And, and some of the alum that we spoke to, um, this was their only phone call that they had, um, and that I really a message. Um, you know we went back you know he would spend a lot of time talking to alum I talked to a guy who graduated in from Otago in 1946 and he, he was in he was in London in Cambridge and you know it, again I was on the phone to him for, for quite a long time my phone bill was quite big by the way after this, um, but we uh, he, he couldn't have come to he was in Cambridge and he was in his 90s and he, he long since gone given up going to London for, for the events that the university held, holds every year. But he, he was really touched by the fact that we had called him um, just to check in how he was doing. You know, asking simple questions, you know, you know, how are you getting your groceries, and we're all in this together. And it made that whole message that New Zealand had, which was to be kind, compassionate, um, and go forward. Then we launched our um, student hardship appeal, um, a few, a few. A week later, uh, again similar to to Lucy, um, backed by the, the vice chancellor, it um, went out to um, all our um, database, um, and then we started. And as the money started coming in, and we raised money quite quickly, um, and and then we gave it out also as quickly uh, as as it was coming in. Um, we we started to thank people, um, regardless of amount. Um, you know, we 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 split the the team, we split the um, the database up and then we rang again so again i was back on the phone calling um chicago's um Hong Kong, <laughs> all, all over the world uh, my phone bill again was quite considerable but um I, and some messages i had you know, i rang, I rang a, a student who'd only just started the university and she'd just gone back to um her parents in, in christchurch and she just i mean she gave a small amount but she she just wanted to give because she knew there were students stuck in the halls of residence here in Dunedin. And, you know, c- couldn't, they were international students, they couldn't go and travel, and they couldn't go, go back to their homes. So she wanted to contribute um, to that way as well. So really, the main message was really, was the very simple phone calls um, and to a, a lot of people um, uh, over uh, a period of time. Okay, thank you, Kate. Kate, the next slide?
0: Yeah, um, okay, sorry.
2: there we go. It's all right. <laughs> there yeah. we, go. Um, we also looked at doing in you know, how we could do some more virtual uh, activity. Um, our alumni team came up with a really good I- uh, idea um, and they worked with one of our partners here. we're um, Australians, you know, that, that rugby is a big deal. So the Otago um, Highlanders is, um, is the local team and I can probably see the stadium from where I am now. Um, so the alumni team uh, came up with a, a small focused event. Um, we had about 20 families. Um, and then there the was a Highlanders afternoon tea with the coach and a, a few of the players. And this was um, you know, an event that really probably brought the family. It's quite a lot of the families um, all dressed up in their Highlanders shirts in all of their gear. Um, some of them created um, little banners. And because it was an afternoon tea, they all had their cups of tea. And it went really well. Um, So I think engagement and new ideas, this is something that the alumni team um, are really keen on and doing more of. And I think it was a great initiative right at the start um, in involving our sort of sponsored partners. And uh, other activity, we were a multi-faith university, but one of the the, um, theology department um, did a a prayer service uh, in the evenings and around eight o'clock, and again, we had a lot of alum that would just log on just to have a touch point, especially again, you know, if they're on their own um, or depending on where they were uh, in, in New Zealand. So that was a connection uh, and that was a short prayer service. Um, we have our digital um, magazines, uh, sorry, magazines, which would go out, um, you know, what's on Otago, what's on Christchurch, what's on um, uh, Wellington, and we, we changed the focus um, somewhat. So we called it What's On At Home. And, um, you know, the, the team really quickly, um, this became quite successful. Um, our readership figures um, were about 15% on previous years because um, people um, probably had more time to open them and read them. And, and the engagement was a bit for everybody. The team was quite clever in the way that it, it was delivered in terms of we had podcasts, them um, to watch um, a message. Again, it was all around the, the university's response um, but what we're doing and um, globally especially where some of our um, academics were assisting with the government um, and the work that they were doing um, and again we also had time again come back to the cost uh, analysis we had time to, um, to talk to our I mean I work in a, in a building um, it's often hard to find academics you know and as we all work in the advancement field trying to pin down an academic uh, to, to do a plan or find out where he needs funding or she needs funding, so having the opportunity to zoom straight away uh, was something that we'll probably take forward. Um, see, it's so much now easier to uh, arrange a meeting via Zoom um, than it is to meet somebody in coffee. Uh, sorry, meet somebody for coffee, especially in a in a large campus that um, we are here in Dunedin. Okay. Lessons learned. Um, And this one, um, I just wanted to um, to space on the lockdown and what we took away. Um, The one of the key messages that came back as part of our our team of thirty here um, was we we every day we had check in during the lockdown. We had a check in call, and it was sort of a morning or afternoon team, and it was designed really just to check that we're all okay and to I mean uh, often. You know, you'd, you'd appear, and then you would have children running past, or often pets. Um, or you know, some of our colleagues were doing it from the farm. You know, it was just a sort of informal checkup to make sure that all of our, our staff, because I mean, it was important to our staff um, for the well-being. Um, so that was a checking call, and actually, our, we've t- taken this further. We've incorporated this every month for our colleagues based up in Christchurch and in Wellington. Um, because they feel they really feel they're more part of the group, um, so that is something that we're going to uh, take forward. We our alumni team also launched a book club during the um, during the, the lockdown, which has now over five hundred, and it's a alumni. It's a global book club. There's about 120 people on the forum that have regular chats. You know, and again, that wouldn't have something we would have run the book club prior, but it would have been here in the in um in the university. This has now got people commenting on books in Vietnam or in China or, um, or in the UK. In fact, we did an event um, in the last couple of weeks um, with one of the new authors uh, of the next book. So therefore, you know, it's a great just zooming in. and the author appeared and, and yet you could have this I- I- event. We um, Again, touching on the Highlanders event, we we're gonna look at doing more special Zoom events small tailored um, events. Um, We're talking to our Pacific um, Associate Deans here, you know, we have a great, um, we do attract a lot of students from across the Pacific, um, across all 17 nations, and we're looking at doing some events uh, in in February time, involving all those islands, which we wouldn't normally be able to do. I mean, we have a strong alumni presence in Samoa and Fiji, and every year the Chancellor would go, Um, but this way we can do it virtually. And incorporate all of the islands Um, again it'll be a cost saving Um, and it'll give people across the pacific to feel part of uh, something a bit bigger Um, and we've also taken away the uh, the phone calls as well we're still continuing to call people who donate to our uh, student hardship appeal Um, and then this will then follow on to people who um, donate especially first-time donors um, into our annual appeal uh, as well what we did miss was really face to face. You know, I, I still feel um, the donor engagement, um, even though technical advances, um, nothing um, replaces meetings. Um, so we'll try as much as we can virtually, but um, still, uh, I think face to face will be the way forward. Um, thank you, Kate. In, in, in addition to um, being part of the Doro Doro team, I was quite... um... As we lived
1: through this extraordinary experience,
2: one of the most important things we've
1: needed is information about what's happening, about what we're discovering, about what else we can
0: do to keep ourselves safe. Thankfully, during this time, our health professionals, our media, our community, and our country's leaders have had trusted experts they can turn to.
1: Dr. Aisha Viral's report has been instrumental in this regard. It comes down to a risk management decision. This is up to all New Zealanders who are sharing the knowledge needed to help protect New
0: Zealanders and keep our country moving, even when it felt like the world around us stopped. And many of these people
1: are our people. It's an honor and a privilege to be playing our part. Kia <laughs> koutou katoa, namahi mihi
2: um, really just, As
0: we
2: The video really just is um, a very short video, um, but it, it shows that work that we did was very, um, it, was, it goes into bigger things with the work that our academics um, And it makes it a real proud time to be actually working for the university uh, during the lockdown period. And i just sort to of share, um, some of my colleagues will appreciate this. Um, and looking back, we all had to adapt very quickly. Um, and as Lucy said, you know, it, everything happened overnight, um, literally in three or four days, you know, we had to have um, rooms set up, working from home became sort of the norm. Um, and we also then had to adapt to our new, our new colleagues, um, regardless um, how furry they, they, they are. Okay, thank you.
0: Well, thanks so much, um, Graham, and uh, again, to uh, to Lucy. Um, I think we've had some really interesting um, uh, oversights of some of the key initiatives. I think some of them will be familiar in flavour, at least, um, if not in the detail of, of what we've been doing. But this is the chance now to throw this over to the floor and to see um, of any of those people who are on the call, um, any of our delegates and participants, whether there's anything you'd like to ask myself, Lucy, or um, Graham, or indeed, you've got some... Contribution you'd like to make yourself, we'd love to hear from you. So I'm just going to pause for a moment and allow people to, either through the chat function um, with Sheila to to ask a question, or Sheila, I'll let you control uh, who's who's doing the speaking um, and answering, asking questions.
3: Yeah, we do have a question um, in there already from Sharon, and I think this is probably for you, Kate. Um, uh, maybe everyone can answer on it. While the reach is definitely greater online and the cost lower, are you finding that more people register and don't turn up? And also, is it impacting negatively on your ability to further development opportunities as you don't get the chance to actually talk to people?
0: Uh, They're a really good question. That's a really good question with sort of a couple of bits to it. Um, No, I think overall, we would say that we're happy with the percentage, the conversion rate, if you like, for registrations and attendances. Um, The net gain is still substantially higher than it was um, with uh, when we did physical events. And of course, our ability to quickly be on those who attended or didn't attend compared to even the physical events. So when people um, uh, would register and then not show up, uh, us then sort of tracking down, did they not show up or did we just not register them properly? I mean, Zoom just allows you to really quickly and cleanly see who's in and who's not in. So our follow-up has been much, much better as a result. I think I would agree that you definitely miss that opportunity to connect an eyeball to eyeball the small anecdotal conversations, the biographical detail you pick up, the kind of characters that you pick up. And that's why I say that um, I don't think that going to a exclusively online um, program will be the way forward, but how we blend that in a way that's a cost-effective and be possible in the current COVID restrictions still remains a work in progress. So I think it will be a combination of both, but we might shift to more, um, we might shift to more social, deliberately social uh, networking engagement things rather than trying to always have a speaker and a talk and have people sitting down and listening, you know, so the webinars might become more the formal, this is where we're delivering content, and then actually appeal to those people who want to meet and do that sort of human, um, human element. So we've still got some thinking to do around how, how we do both, but um, I think they're good points that you you raised. I don't know if the others have got any else that they'd like to contribute.
1: I was just going to add um, the gifting wills manager that works in my team, systematically worked his way through calling every single one of the bequesters, and echoing what Graham said often when Heath was talking to people that this was often the only conversation they had all day. What was interesting was that he's had more contact with people this year than he has had in previous years and while nothing replaces the face-to-face meeting as a fundraiser, nothing replaces it, Heath did say to me that he's going to keep calling. He's like, I don't know why we've never done this before. I can get more reach to more people over a shorter period of time, I've done more meetings effectively this year than I've done in the previous two years. He's like, "So, what on earth have I been doing with my time?" Mm-hmm. And I think probably that's a, that's an interesting one about how we get out there and really engage with people. And you know, and I doubt we'll we'll go back to you know what pre-COVID really was.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, echoing really. I mean, the, I think mean, the calling really did help. I mean, I'm looking, we're looking now and whether, I mean, parts of Europe now are going back into lockdown, um, especially with the UK, um, you know, they're going to lockdown to, tonight. Um, you know, it is an opportunity there. we're now engaging back with our UK-based alumni over the next month, touching base again with them. How, how are you, um, you know, and, and connecting with them again. It's definitely, I think, a blended approach. And we're using some of the things that we wouldn't normally do um, and, and using the web base to one of the ideas that we've got is to um is a seminar in germany it's all morning seminar um with the time difference and having an academic virtually appear and giving a very short quick little um seminar on Zoom breakfast seminar and then just again touch
3: points fantastic um guys if you've got any more questions now's your chance your opportunity um please let us know well you must have blown them all away
0: (laughs) (laughs) there must be some questions there must be some questions i'm thinking even of people in my team who are listening there must be questions for um uh, for some of the uh the content that we've heard today
3: no everybody's silent um Well, look, if you've got any questions that you think of afterwards, please uh, do email. You can email myself, Sheila at educateplus.edu.au. And I will forward them on to Graham, Kate and Lucy. Um, And all that remains is for me to say thank you very much to the three of you for a fantastic webinar and for giving up your time and sharing uh, very valuable knowledge with our members. Um, I'll hand over to you, Kate, for a final goodbye.
0: Thanks, Sheila. Look, it's always um, a pleasure. I'm grateful to, to Lucy and Graham and joining me on this, um, this journey, because actually, even as uh, people who are preparing these things, it's good to just stop and reflect and kind of go, yeah, what was that all about? And actually, what did we learn? <laughs> so um, actually uh, doing some of these presentations causes us all to, to take the time time to, to, to stop and think. Um, I simply, I, I guess in wrapping up, I would say we've heard about some really interesting things. And I think that the common message amongst it all is, is that actually dare to do, right? Um, um so much of what we've talked about actually is common sense that if you were in some kind of workshop in some kind of theoretical setting you would say that these are good ideas and you do them but somehow when we're faced with it in the real world we get bogged down by the day to dayness. we get too busy with um, our business as usual so if COVID has taught us anything it's actually to be free and liberated from the idea Mm -hmm. of what we can't do and to actually be really stimulated and activated by what we can do because really there are very few limits if COVID has has, has, uh, provided a positive then perhaps it's around that collective will to overcome challenge and so particularly um, in universities that can be not well known for overcoming some of the administrative challenges Uh, take Lucy's point around not taking no for an answer in the politest way is a really good good way forward, and whatever organization you're in, I think daring to do needs to be our message today. Give it a go, because what actually is the worst thing that could happen if something mm-hmm. didn't work, you've learned something right, and then you move on. So COVID chased us up that tree, and when we got there, the view was actually in some regards pretty good. So go, go climbing some trees, look out at the view, and let, let's get on with doing.
3: Fantastic. I think uh, I'm feeling inspired, Kate. Thank you very much for that. Thanks, everybody, for attending. Uh, see you at the next yeah. webinar. Thanks, uh, all. Bye, thank bye you. everyone. Bye. bye. bye.